My name is Julie Durst, and I have the pleasure of being the children's pastor here at Grace. Um, I've also been given the pleasure of speaking to you this morning. Um, as we head into this new year, I'd like to share a few thoughts with you, um, something that has been real and on my heart lately. So I hope that uh, it'll resonate with you as well. This time of year is when we start to think, right? I mean, we might not think the rest of the year, but this time of year, we start thinking and evaluating and going, okay, that whole year happened, we're heading into a new one, let's muster up some motivation to make some changes. So while you're in the midst of all that evaluation and analyzing your life, I just want to present to you this truth about spiritual warfare. The title of my message today is The Ripple Effect. Because we have to know and understand that the reality is that everything that happens here in the physical ripples to the spiritual. And everything that happens in the spiritual realm has effects here in the physical realm. That's true, and we need to be aware of it. So for the past few months, God has really been opening my eyes to this, to the, to the reality of the fight that is constantly going on. I think as Christians, we, we do know that. We know there's good and there's evil. We know there's God and there's Satan and there's this battle. But I think we become kind of numb to it. And we kind of place it over here like, yep, got that. Let's move on. What's next? Um, and I think that's a mistake. And I think we have to focus a little bit more on it. Some of us give no thought to the enemy. That's a dangerous place to be. Some of us become too obsessed with the enemy. That's a dangerous place to be. C.S. Lewis was an author, quite intelligent man. <laughs> he wrote a book called Screwtape Letters, and in it he said this, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence, the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. We have to recognize that there is a spiritual war raging for our souls. We also have to think about what it looks like and what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Jesus is pretty upfront about this, that there's going to be struggles, there's going to be hardships. If you think coming to faith is going to set your life perfectly in order, it doesn't go like that. There's war. In Luke 14, 25 through 33, Jesus tells people to count the cost. Let's read it together. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else, your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction on a building without first calculating the cost to see if there was enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against them? And if he can't, you will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. 
Let's pray. Father, we come before you today in need of you. We need your Holy Spirit's guidance and illumination to your word so that we can understand it the way that you've called us to. I pray right now that you would speak to each person here because we're all in different places. And you're a personal God and you know where each one of us is and what we need to hear from you, the truth that needs to resonate in our souls. So speak to each individually. Lord, I pray against distractions in the name of Jesus. I pray that we truly would be able to focus in and hear from you, our creator. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, I simply want to bring some scriptures to you so that you can see right from the word of God that spiritual warfare is real, you need to be aware, and that you don't have to be afraid. You just need to be prepared. Those are the two points I want you to walk away with. It's real, but be prepared. This message would by no means give um, uh, justice to the enormity of this topic. Like, please don't think once you've heard this, like, woo, I'm good to go on spiritual warfare. Like, no. (laughs) It is a huge topic. It can be an overwhelming topic. But this is to spur you on to deeper understanding to awaken your souls to, hey, there's more. My goal is not to scare you today, but to help you see the seriousness of the struggle for your soul. Here's the reality of our world. There's an almighty God who created everything. There's an enemy of God who wants to destroy him and all who serve him. That's the reality. At the moment of every Christian conversion, the moment you decide to follow Christ, You're declaring war with the devil. When we choose to live for God, we choose to live in direct opposition to Satan. Spiritual warfare is real. In this declaration of war, we see in Ephesians 6, right, that God does not leave us on our own. Like, hey, good luck with that. He gives us armor. This armor is not physical but spiritual because that's where the battle lies. Verse 12 says, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies but against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. It's a whole lot of talk about the enemy, huh? I think this is where some people become a little overwhelmed and leave it at that. It is a whole lot easier, a whole lot more comfortable to not think about the evil that we are up against. I think that's a mistake. And it's not how God has called us to live. Scripture tells us that we're to count the cost. We're to take up our cross and we're to stand our ground against the devil's schemes. Let's talk about the cross for a second. I think a lot of us um, beautify the cross. We think of like that is such a gorgeous thing that happened on the cross. And it is. His grace is phenomenal and magnificent. But the cross is also grotesque. It's an instrument of death. And Jesus tells us to take up our cross. What's he talking about, right? He already did the work on the cross. Here's what he's saying, that we have to die to ourselves. Since the beginning of time, self-reliance has been that lie that the enemy keeps feeding us. We don't need God. You can do it on your own. You'll be in charge of your life. You'll be just fine. It's not true. 
And for any of you who are like me and have tried that, it doesn't work. We in and of ourselves cannot redeem ourselves. It is only through Jesus Christ that we have forgiveness of sin and power to live for God. Dying to ourselves looks like rejecting everything that this world has to offer, giving everything that matters to us to God, placing it all in his hands. In reality, the earth and everything in it belongs to him anyways, right? If we value anything higher than God, we're not worthy of him. That's hard to swallow, I know. Now listen to what the scripture said. If we love anything in comparison to him more, right? So it's not saying don't love your children or don't love your mom and dad. That's not what the scripture's saying. But it's saying when you compare how much you love God to how much you love something else, God has got to be first. Your love and devotion to him has got to be supreme or else there's something wrong. The song we sang today, my heart will sing no other name but Jesus, man, that's beautiful. That was a cry in my heart today. God, let that be so. Let that be real for each person here that our heart would not sing the name of our spouse. Our heart would not sing the name of our children. Our heart would not sing the name of our career or self-reliance or anything else that we struggle with. Let us only sing Jesus. Turning our lives over to God, surrendering all to him is not easy but it's what he calls us to do. Die to ourselves, take up our cross. When we look at the Israelites, we see that they kind of went back and forth a lot, right? They would serve God for a while, then they would stop serving God. Then they would serve him again, and then they would stop serving God. It was quite a roller coaster. A lot of it had to do with where they were living. So they would live in a city, and they would take on those ideologies. They would take on those customs. They would take on um, the forms of worship, it was worship of false gods. They knew the one true God. They knew creator, almighty God. But they would deny him and take on what culture was doing. We do that. We do that when we accept what culture says is acceptable and run with it. If we don't look at what they're teaching us and see that it's contrary to what the word of God says, and we do that same thing that the Israelites did. It's dangerous. The battle for our soul is real. Our attention, our devotion. The enemy wants our attention and devotion. I love this about God. That what he says that when we accept Jesus Christ as our savior, we no longer have citizenship here on earth. This earth doesn't matter. We have citizenship in heaven. That's where we belong. And I love like the word picture and maybe the almost silliness with the way that we think of aliens. But I love the idea that we are aliens on this earth. We're citizens of heaven. We don't belong here. We are supposed to look different. We're supposed to talk differently, think differently, not to blend in with our culture. Young people, you are not to look the way that your school friends look. You're not to speak the way that they speak. And the same goes for the old ones, too. 
not just the young ones. But my heart aches a little for our younger culture, our younger generation, because they are up against quite a bit of what this culture says is okay or acceptable. And that's scary. We need to keep in mind that everything we do here on earth has spiritual ramifications. The impressions that we make are for one side or the other, how we conduct ourselves, the way we dress, speak, think, our whole demeanor makes a constant impression. Cannot help but testify for or against God. I recently read a quote by JTC who wrote the book, The Last Call for Real Revival. It said, at every step you tread on cords that will vibrate to all eternity. Every time you move, you touch keys whose sound will re-echo all over the hills and dales of heaven and through all the dark caverns and vaults of hell. Every movement of your lives, you are exerting a tremendous influence that will tell on the immortal interests of souls all around you. The battle for our souls is real. How are you affecting your sphere of influence? What are the ripples you're making that will impact eternity? All right, I know. Some of you are probably thinking, okay, she's talking about the devil a whole lot, <laughs> and that's ridiculous. Well, I, I want to say that I think that that's an error in thinking. To not recognize that there is evil at work in this world would be to say, eh, we don't need to prepare to fight against him. We don't need to prepare for battle. When we don't recognize the fact that he's real, we dismiss the need to be prepared. So let me put it in sports terms, because that's how I know a lot of people think. Might not be me, but a lot of people think this way. Think of a sports team showing up to a field or a court never having acknowledged that they're going to be playing against someone. They show up and they're ready to go and they're like, what? What? We have to play against another team? Whoa, 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 whoa. We were not prepared for this, right? They would be woefully unprepared. They would be at an extreme disadvantage because they didn't prep to play against someone. They just prepped to play their game. Doesn't make sense, does it? Well, it doesn't make sense that we do that as Christians. This is what I think, and it might come across a little harsh. But I think that when we don't acknowledge that there's an enemy at work against us, we've reduced our faith or our decision to follow God to a feel-good or a self-help religion. Essentially believing that the choice to follow God will help us be a better person or have a better life. It's dangerous. There's more to it. There is a spiritual realm that rages against us that wants to see the downfall of God Almighty and therefore those who follow him. All right, back to sports. I do not know a lot about sports, but I used to love to tease my son and my husband. Um, and so what I would do is I would read a couple ESPN tweets and then I would randomly like throw out the information or pose a question at dinner time, like, hey, did you see so-and-so signed with that team? I mean, I really think his influence is going to bring him to the championship, don't you think? And they would like immediately jump in with their thoughts and like everything that was going, and then they'd be like, wait a second. 
Who said that? <laughs> you didn't start that conversation, Ben. That was mom. You know absolutely nothing, right? And they would laugh and probably roll their eyes and tease me. Oh, you're so silly. <laughs> what I want you to think about with that story is you and your Christian life. A simple truth that you've heard from a sermon or that you've read in a devotional book is not enough. It's not enough knowledge to fight the spiritual battle that we are up against. We have got to be devoted to the word of God and to prayer. Here's what 1 Peter 5.8 says. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So one way we prepare for spiritual battle is by spending time in prayer. Now here's something that is probably not a newsflash to you, but it's probably not easy. <laughs> is that prayer consists of both speaking and listening. It's a spiritual discipline to quiet ourselves and listen for God. But we have to. We have to know the voice of God. And if you don't, you're not spending enough time with him. I teach the kids this downstairs by asking them a question like, hey, how do you get to know your friends? Oh, we hang out with them. That's right. You gotta hang out with God. You have to spend time with him. Sometimes I ask them, hey, would you know your mom or dad's voice if they came down here right now and called to you? Yeah. Well, how would you be able to pick out their voice from any of the other adults that are upstairs? Well, I, I know them. I see them every day. They talk to me every single day. I hear them. That's right. The same is true of our Heavenly Father. We have to spend time with him listening for his voice. We have to know how he speaks to us. Teach your children this, please. Teach your grandchildren. Start them young. We as adults have a hard enough time being quiet and listening for his voice. So start them young with this. Uh, we started Abby, my four-year-old, with this. And the first time I told her after we prayed, hey, we're going to sit quietly and listen for God. She lasted three seconds. <laughs> it was like, whoop, done. Um, currently, she's up to one minute. So I think that's pretty good. Oh, just silence and listening. Um, but here's the important part, too. You have to then discern, right? What you heard, was it God or was it not? One night after listening for God, she told me, Mom, God told me I'm going to be a horse vet. I'm <laughs> like, okay, well, let's figure this out. So you have to really understand, is that really God telling you that, Abby? Or is that something you think would be kind of cool and fun to do? And she laughed and said, I don't know, Mom. <laughs> I said, okay. Well, so from now on, we're going to pray and ask God to reveal to you, to answer you, is this really what you want me to do, God? So far, we don't have a definite answer. <laughs> But learning to know your own thoughts, the promptings of the Holy Spirit, and the lies of the enemy is essential. Our mind is quite a battlefield. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5 says, We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. We have rebellious thoughts that are not from God constantly. And we have to purpose to gain control of our thought life 
and rebuke the lies of the enemy. This brings me to the next way that we have to prepare. We have to weigh everything against what the word of God says, yes? Would it then stand to reason that we have to know what the word of God says? Yeah. We have to know the Bible. We have to memorize it. It needs to be in our minds, on our hearts, and on our lips, ready to go in a moment of struggle or discouragement. Let's use sports again for a second. Imagine for a moment that you're on a sports team and you run out onto the field to try to win the game, but you have no idea what the plays are. So every football season, Ben would get this binder of plays and like, I, I mean, I, it's ridiculous, right? There's like squiggle marks all over these papers. And I'm going, how on earth do you even like comprehend this? Somehow they do. I don't know how these guys and girls do it, but they do. So they have to memorize the plays and execute them. Well, if they didn't, and they went out on the field and tried to run those plays, it was pretty laughable because you could tell they had no idea what they were doing. I would say the same is true of our Christian life. If we don't know the word of God, it's laughable, but favorable to our enemy. Think about Jesus in the desert being tempted by Satan. How did he resist the devil? He quoted scripture. How did Satan tempt him? He quoted scripture. How dare us not know the word of God better than our own enemy? Another part of being prepared for spiritual battle is to realize that we are absolutely powerless against Satan in and of ourselves. It is only through the power of Jesus Christ that we can stand firm against his schemes. Demons were cast out in his name Healing occurred in his name. Salvation comes in his name. Baptism comes in his name. And justification comes in his name. There is nothing like the power of the name of Jesus Christ. The New Testament testifies that, yes. We see it over and over again. The name of Jesus tears down strongholds. Luke 10, 19 and 20 says, Look, I have given you authority over all power of the enemy, you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. But don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. This verse is a promise and a warning. We do indeed have authority in the name of Jesus Christ, and we have access to that. But we must not become prideful about the authority we have in Jesus Christ. We should never credit ourselves with anything but complete obedience and submission to God. I'd like to spend some time focusing on the name of Jesus and the authority that comes with the name of Jesus. There's a pastor, Rick Enzel, who uses some analogies and word pictures to help us understand the power of Jesus' name. So I'll take you, a few, take you through a few of those. When we use the name of Jesus, we are admitting the bankruptcy of our own name. It would be like a bride coming from abject poverty, marrying a wealthy man and taking on his name and all that entails. She then moves and acts in his name, no longer her own. When we use the name of Jesus, we are identifying with the person of Jesus Christ. It's like going to the bank of heaven where I have deposited absolutely nothing. But Jesus has unlimited resources and he has allowed me to go to the bank of heaven with his name on my checks. 
When we use the name of Jesus, we're representing his interests here on earth. So for this analogy, think of power of attorney. When you give someone power of attorney, you're saying to them, you're gonna represent me. I'm giving you the authority to work in my interest. Jesus has given every believer and follower of him that power of attorney. We are able to use his name in every situation. When we use the name of Jesus, we are submitting to his will. Jesus' authority rested with his submission to the Father, and therefore our authority rests with our submission to Jesus. To ask in his name is to ask according to his nature, and his nature is one of submission. This is an area where I get nervous. I think sometimes Christians get a little too liberal with using the name of Jesus, thinking that they can pray anything, and if they attach Jesus' name, it will be done. I would say that's not the case. Because if our prayers are contrary to the word of God or the will of God, the answer is going to be no. As I wrap up, I'd like to bring your attention to something else that has become um, really real to me, um, in some ways overwhelming. But then I think, hey, if God is for me, who can be against me? I'm good. This is the, the concept of doorways or areas of our life that we have allowed the enemy's influence. It's kind of freaked me out at first thought, wait, what? I don't want that. I don't want that at all. But the reality is that we do allow his influence in our life if we are not aware. The scripture tells us plainly that anger gives the devil a foothold in our life. There's many other things that give him a foothold. Aren't you so happy that we have authority in the name of Jesus to rebuke that? Say, "Uh uh-uh. Let's close that door in the name of Jesus. Let's cover it with the blood of Jesus that protects us from all of Satan's schemes. We're living in the age of the internet, and there's a lot out there, right? It's beautiful because it's so easy and we can learn so much. It's scary to me because there's a lot out there that we can watch and read and buy into that is not in line with the word of God. Please evaluate everything that you're hearing. Evaluate what I am saying today. Test it against the word of God. Do not just listen to sermons online or watch people and believe everything they say just because they are simply well followed. Test what is being said against the word of God Do not allow ideologies that are false teachings to saturate your life. I want us to take some time, right, as again, we're heading into this new year. I want you to really get serious about your faith. To not just accept the grace that is given and feel good about that, but to really allow Jesus to be your Lord, your master. If you allow him to be your Lord and master, you're giving over control to him. And I know that's scary. I like to be in control, I'm a woman, right? (laughs) Sorry, ladies, but it's true. I really do, I like to control. 
And so it is very scary to give over control when we don't know what's going to happen. Here's the beauty of our God. He has our best interests in mind. He has plans to prosper us and not to harm us. Plans to give us hope and a future. So as we're taking a few minutes here at the end, I, I really want you to think and evaluate every aspect of your life. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. I'd like to leave you with a story about our son Isaiah. In his two years of existence, we have discovered that he is an intense little guy. <laughs> he uh, really, we see it both good and bad, right? He's really passionate about some things, but then his temper <laughs> can be pretty intense as well. <laughs> so he, he has this like guttural cry that he uses um, when he's calling for his sister Abby. He'll go, come here, come here, Abby, come here. And it's like, <laughs> it's like whoa, <laughs> it's pretty intense, right? But she always goes, like she knows, like this is, this is important. <laughs> Buddy wants me and I better go. Can we go to God? Because he's calling for us just the same way. Like, come here. You're my creation and I love you desperately. Come. Come to me. Here's another promise from God's word. James 4, 7 and 8 says, Humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. My prayer for each of you as we head into this new year is that you will take time to humble yourself before the Lord to reject that self-reliance and pride that you might not need him to humble yourself. We sang that he's a good father, and that's true. All we need do is ask, and he answers us. So if you're sitting there feeling overwhelmed by the weight of spiritual warfare, don't. Just start somewhere, ask. Ask him, where do I go from here, God? What is it that you need to show me? I also pray that you would learn to resist the devil with the authority that you have in Jesus' name. I pray that you would indeed draw close to him and that you would choose where your loyalty lies in this battle. For the next few minutes, I am going to ask the worship team to come up, and I just want us to kind of have this battle cry those words that Jesus will be the only name that we sing brings victory, right? There is victory and power in the name of Jesus Christ. It is a beautiful, powerful name. And so we're going to sing that, that our hearts will only sing the name of Jesus. And I want you, if you are ready to declare that, then do. And do it with some excitement. But if you're not there yet, evaluate talk to God, ask him what's holding you back,